Welcome to Let's Talk with Sanctuary, a podcast designed for women in ministry. I'm Bridget Tomlin, founder of Sanctuary, a ministry for ministry wives. Our desire is to break free from isolation and foster authentic connection. Let's redefine Sanctuary. Welcome to Let's Talk with Sanctuary. My name is Bridget, and I just want to um, just take a moment, first of all, to say Merry Christmas. I know that we're just a few days from this amazing celebration, and I hope that you are able to find some time to rest and relax. I know that a lot of people look forward to the holidays, but also carry a significant load of stress that is added with that, all the responsibilities of celebrating with your families, but then also the additional events and celebrations that are added with your ministry schedule. So find some time over these next few days just to get still and listen to the Holy Spirit and be refreshed and reminded this is the greatest news of all time. This is why we celebrate. And I'm just honored that you take time today to listen to this episode. I'm just thrilled to unpack what we're about to talk about. This is something I've wanted to speak about and and have a conversation with someone who has been there and can really shed some light on what it takes to recover after betrayal. You know, our most recent episode just a few weeks ago with our guest, Martha Tennyson, she shared with us about the imperative value of pastoring and leading our families well. And I mentioned in that episode, the onslaught of the enemy that he is seeking and really always has sought to take out those in spiritual leadership Satan hates the family. He hates the marriage. He's, he especially hates those that are founded upon the word of God because the family is a living picture to the world of God's plan of salvation. So today we welcome our guest, Lynn Marie Cherry, to take this conversation to a new level. Lynn Marie is an engaging speaker. She's an author of an award-winning book called Keep Walking, 40 Days to Hope and Freedom After Betrayal. And this is a daily devotional that helps women find a way through the pain of relational betrayal. She's dedicated to inspiring hope and shining a light on the path to freedom. And so in whatever shoes you prefer, whether that be rubber rain boots, she says, or tennis shoes or sassy heels, she's going to show you how to take a step forward today. Lynn graduated from Oral Roberts University, and she's a licensed minister. She enjoys sharing insight from God's Word and the world around her. And then she and her husband, David, co-pastor Restoration Covenant Church in Round Rock, Texas. They've been married for 30 years. They have two sons. And you can connect with her at her website, lynnmariecherry.com. We'll, of course, have that in today's show notes. Lynn, thank you so much for joining us at Let's Talk with Sanctuary. You and your husband have walked through some very difficult seasons together, and gratefully, you've both chosen to make yourselves vulnerable enough to share your story, and you're bringing light to this subject of betrayal within the marriage. And this happens far more often than we'd like to admit, and all too often is never revealed or confronted for fear of losing it all. And especially like in ministry, you know, such things can not only destroy your marriage, but also cost you your ministry and your means of income. And so I just want to, first of all, just take this opportunity to say thank you for talking about this because there's a lot of risk in sharing your story. And there's a lot, it takes a lot of courage to do that. So welcome to Let's Talk. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Bridget. It's a pleasure to be here with you. And, you know, it was 
a little ways into our recovery journey that my husband and I both knew God was asking us to share our story. I don't think he asks everyone gotcha. to share some of these, you know, really dark places with maybe just a few people and not like the whole world, <laughs> but mm -hmm. we knew that that was our assignment. Um, we had suffered so long with our secret and when we discovered hope and healing, uh, we, we couldn't keep that to ourselves. We knew we had to share. Well, it's a beautiful thing. And um, I, I just, it's remarkable. You would need to know, of course, like you said, that God was assigning you to do that and that he would open the right doors because um, that, like, like you said, is not for everybody, but someone needs to do that. And I'm so glad that you all surrendered. Why don't you take just a few minutes here and share with us a little bit of your own story? Sure, sure. Well, you know, I, I could uh, talk about my childhood in North Dakota. That was great, but I'm just going to skip ahead. <laughs> uh, my husband and I met in Oklahoma. He went to Bible college there. I went to Oral Roberts University, as you mentioned. And so we met at church through a mutual friend. And just, you know, started a friendship and then started dating for a while. And I, gosh, I remember one day sitting at Mazio's Pizza in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and eating pizza and drinking Dr. Pepper and listening to him share his heart and thinking, this is a man with a really beautiful, beautiful heart. Mm. And I think I could spend my life with him. And so that was probably that first moment where I thought that relationship was headed somewhere long-term. And we ended up getting married the summer that I graduated, 1991, got my degree in May, and then we got married in July. And so we went away on our honeymoon. And honestly, Bridget, I knew very quickly that something wasn't quite right. I had that feeling, even on our honeymoon, like, wow, something doesn't, something doesn't feel right. There's something that's a little off here, but I've never been married before. I've never had a husband. I, you know, don't really know what to expect from being a newlywed. And so I just kind of thought, well, we'll keep learning, keep growing. Uh, but through the years, the early years of our relationship, there were definitely some signs that there was an issue <clears throat> excuse me that there was an issue in my husband's life and then you know what did i do uh we're on staff at a church we're serving our local church in new braunfels texas and you know i, I love what you pointed out in your introduction that there's a lot at stake when when there is a lack of integrity especially in sexual integrity Mm -hmm. in, um, in a ministry family. And I, I felt that fear. If anyone would find out that something is amiss in this area of our life, my husband's probably going to lose his job. What's going to happen to my family? Yeah. And so I did, I did what I had seen my parents do with hard things in their lives. I did the only thing I thought was my option. And I just, I chose denial. And so I lived, I coped, I pretended, um, just went through the motions. And I did that for so many years, like whew, probably about eight years. And then, you know, all of that stuff that I had 
shoved inside. I remember our, our therapist, when we started to go to counseling, he said, it, it comes out sideways, doesn't it? Mm. And, and I was experiencing that where suddenly like people who meet me would describe me as a sweet person, but suddenly I am like angry and I'm swearing and I've never sworn in my life. And I, I just had so much emotion that I've been stuffing for all those years. And I finally ran out of room and it, it started coming out sideways. And, um, and, and that was really like, I look back at that and I think anger was one of God's greatest gifts to me because I was okay being sad and I was okay being lonely, but being angry really scared me. And it was that, that warning sign, that flashing warning sign, like something needs to be paid attention to. And it's, it's time to deal with this. And thankfully at that point, we were in a a new church community and they, I, I know this is not everybody's story, but they had a model for recovery. And so when when I reached out to someone and let them know what was happening in our home. And, and what I had discovered is that my, my husband was um, viewing pornography habitually. He, we would not have called it an addiction at the time, but, but now we do realize it was an addiction to pornography. It was how he coped with his life. And so when I brought that to light at the church we were at here in Austin, they, they resourced us. They walked with us. They, they climbed into the pit I was in beside me. Mm -hmm. And just, uh, there were women that came around me and that were men that came around my husband. And, um, ideally like that is, is the most beautiful way to serve people in a crisis like this. And I know for so many people in ministry, that's not what happened. But, um, but that is what happened for us. And I'm so grateful. And then we were able here, right here in Austin, there was a counseling center that specialized in caring for people who are walking through infidelity and betrayal. And so the first therapist that we saw was a specialist Mm -hmm. and, and that is so critical. You know, a lot of people when there's an issue in the marriage or they discover infidelity, they're like, you know, we need counseling and they may just call a general counselor or someone they know, but, but this is a different animal. And so we were blessed to be able to have a specialist nearby and we were in counseling for two years, which was hard, really, really hard when you're the girl who chooses denial to have to go to those weekly appointments and like be honest about what's happening and how you feel about it and the damage that it's caused like ooh those were those were uh brutal but but it became a lifeline for us um my husband i think experienced relief very quickly that his secret was out the secret he'd carried from age 7 mm-hmm. was finally out and and there were there were tools and there was uh, information that could actually help him break free of this. He had tried for so many years on his own to break free of this habit of um, interacting with pornography. 
and and it would work for a little while you know he could white knuckle it for a while but it never really stuck until we brought these other people into our story who knew how to help someone dealing with addiction and so two years two years of therapy of 48 weeks of classes with other couples and then i had a group of women that i did a, a class with my husband had a group of men that he met with and we just had the the great honor of walking through a path of healing um watching god restore our soul watching god like break the chains of sexual addiction and bondage in my husband's life and then ultimately like through the years and maybe really after three or four years restoring our relationship restoring our marriage was there a moment where you confronted him with what you knew yes so i i had gone to a women's conference actually this is such a long story sure. i had, i had reached out to focus on the family actually one day and spoke to a counselor on their staff or ministry people and they gave me some really great advice and so i wrote down all the things they told me and then i tucked that piece of paper in my nightstand and did nothing for a few months uh, going back to that old familiar coping style with denial but i went to a women's conference and you know it was one of those situations maybe this has happened to you bridget where it feels like the whole thing is for you mm -hmm. every speaker every song every every skit and so they this was this was in um in the 90s or actually early 2000s and so they did uh this is when drama theater doing pre theatrical productions was so popular. And so they did these skits, princess skits. And Sleeping Beauty was one of the stars of this, you know, drama. But in every scenario, she would just faint and fall to the stage and lay there through the entire scene. And the Holy Spirit just spoke to me through that. And he's like, Lynn, you have to get up you've got to stop sleeping through your life mm -hmm. there's too much at stake here for you to just sleep through it and not rise up and so courage was really planted in my heart through that conference to to face it i have to face this i have two boys i have two little boys my husband and i had i think our boys were probably four and seven at the time and at this point, it wasn't just about my heart being broken. I have two boys and I wanted them to grow up in a home that didn't have an addict. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, that was a real wake up call for me to confront him. And I did, I, I, I finally got out that piece of paper. I had written all that stuff on. And I was like, listen, I'm a mess. I need help and you need help and we need help and i uh, either you need to tell your story to someone on our staff or i will and uh, then after that you know i reached out to a friend and i made an appointment with the counselor the specialist and i and i told my husband i was like i have to go i can't be this person that i'm becoming i have to get help and i'm inviting you to get help with me 
And I mean, that was a real struggle to take that first step to show up at that first counseling appointment, but we ended up going together. And um, my husband, I think, although he had tried and failed so many times to break this pattern in his life, in his core, he really did want to be free of it. Did he know that you had known before that confrontation? I, I, I think we'd had a few conversations about his pornography use, that this was something that was a part of his life. But uh, what happened shortly after our second son was born is I did walk in on him. One night, late at night, I walked in on him when he was viewing pornography, and I don't think he was aware of it at the time that night, but we did talk about it later. And I was like, I, you know, I've seen it and, and I know it, mm-hmm. I walked in. And so I, I know this is not something that was a part of your life. It is a part of your life. Sanctuary launched in February, 2015 with a two day, two night retreat for ministry wives. Every single detail of that event was the culmination of nearly two decades of dreaming, praying and hoping for a way to resource the most amazing people on the planet with rest, respite, refreshing, and renewal. And although Sanctuary has developed a variety of other ministry platforms over the past several years, the Sanctuary Let's Retreat is still the full embodiment of everything Sanctuary is designed to provide. We recently hosted our fifth Let's Retreat and are beyond excited to get planning the next one, which will be held in the fall of 2022. Learn more about Let's Retreat at our site, SanctuaryMinistryWives.com, and be on the lookout for the announcement of those 2022 dates. The announcement will come in January of next year with the registration opening in February. Let's talk about pornography, you know, because I think that no matter how frequently I hear about the statistics, about the accessibility, the pervasiveness of it, you know, how many homes this impacts, I never cease to be amazed and overwhelmed by it. So help us understand the current state of the church today and kind of our culture at large when it comes to this gateway into sexual exploitation. I really do see pornography as um, a gateway into sexual exploitation, that there's a, there's a seamless connection between pornography and human trafficking. Mm-hmm. And, um, it is, like you said, so pervasive. I think one of the real dangers of, of what we have now and this shift that happened in about 2008, you know, my husband grew up with magazines right. and then VHS. But now um, with, the, with the internet, pornography is available, accessible, affordable. Most of it is free, you know, and it's completely anonymous. And, mm-hmm. and then now with, with the smartphone it's not just something like a magazine we hide under the bed it is in our pocket it's in our purse we take it with us wherever we go and so that that um easy access to porn i think has just made this addiction so prevalent in our culture and you know statistically that it's not much different in the world and in the church world. And I think one of the reasons it's so attractive in the church world is that it is so easy to hide. And for people who 
maybe know in their heart, this is wrong, I shouldn't be doing this. Um, if anyone finds out I'm in trouble, it still is so easy to hide. I think often in the church and in faith communities, we can feel like it's even more important to keep our secrets hidden. Yes, and that's the risk because the longer that it's hidden, the more it's fed in secret and then it grows and eventually sin is never satisfied. So that's where that gateway comes in, right? No, oh, I love that you said that. I remember I remember our therapist telling us that lust is never satisfied. And it's just, it's a, it's a monster. And the more you feed it, the more it grows. And the more it, it can become just overwhelming to your everyday life. <laughs> I once heard a pastor say sin makes you stupid. And what I think he further, you know, broke that down in that the enemy is so good at what he does that he deceives us into believing that no one else knows but then beyond that, that we can get away with more, you know, no, no full on drug addict immediately goes into the hardcore stuff. It's all entry level. It's that zero entry, you know, well, I'll try this, I'll try that. And then eventually the adrenaline needs more to satisfy that craving. And every addiction is that way, whether that be with food or sexual things or spending or, you know, anything, even adrenaline has its own addictive tendencies. And so it has to be constantly fed more and more for it to be even felt or sensed. Right. You're so right. And there is a big, our brain chemistry is such a huge part of, of addiction. Mm -hmm. And as it relates to pornography, you know, I, even as a child, when, when a child sees something they've never seen before, there's a flood of hormones and powerful chemicals in the brain and, and children, you know, often are not even prepared for that or coached for like, Hey, this might happen someday. And so they don't know what to do, but, but a lot of times it sparks curiosity. Sure. And they're like, what was that? What was that feeling? Wow, that was a strong feeling. Um, and, and can I feel that again? And so it's, it is something that our, our brains are wired for new. We are wired for new things. And so when we experience new things and see new things, we, we want to learn more. Yeah, so I guess the initial question here is how do we tackle this issue, like in our own homes or as leaders of others? How does that impact the other spouse? I mean, you alone would be able to share with us um, as to the impact that that has on the entire home. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, I How do we tackle this issue? Whew. I think more than anything, we need people in our lives that we cannot lie to. We need safe people who can handle our brokenness, who aren't going to react in shame or judgment. But, and honestly, ideally, we think, I think we need people who can say, me too. I've been there. I, I understand what it's like to carry the weight of a secret. And you're not alone. And let me lead you to some help. I think relationships are the most important part. You know, I look back at my husband's life when we were first married and he didn't have a lot of men in his life. 
um, it was too risky. It was too risky to have friends in his life that would ask him questions. You know, he couldn't, he couldn't go there. And so he just didn't have a lot of relationships. But bringing other men into his life, who um, some who were struggling, and some who had struggled, and some who knew, like, hey, this is the this is the way to freedom. Um, that was huge, and it was huge for me too. I I think one of the keys to tackling this in our home is we have got to surround the spouse who was betrayed. A lot of times, you know, as pornography has come to light as an issue, even in the, the Christian world and the church world, you know, we're resourcing those strugglers and we're getting them to in weekend intensives and, and we should, you know, we should definitely be, be resourcing them. And, but historically, the spouse that was betrayed has sort of just been left to fend for themselves. Yeah. And I was talking to some friends uh, who are in ministry helping people deal with sexual integrity. And as they've worked with more and more couples, they've found that the key to restoration is coming around that the spouse that was betrayed, mm. making sure they feel seen and supported and that they have resources to heal. Um, Yes, you know, the, the unfaithful spouse needs work and they need freedom, but we can't just look at the unfaithful spouse. We've got to come around and surround and resource that uh, betrayed spouse as well. That completely makes sense to me because if you are ministering to the betrayed spouse, then they are going to reciprocate healing to the person that has betrayed them. You know, building, there's, there's, two people involved in rebuilding that trust. And if that person that has been betrayed is never able to fully find the healing that he or she needs, they will never be able to trust in order to try to bring this thing full circle with restoration. Well, what tends to happen when, when, you know, something like this explodes into the light is that the unfaithful person or the person who's dealing with pornography, which, which is statistically men and women are equally unfaithful. So when this comes to light, the unfaithful spouse almost immediately has a sense of relief because they have spent so much time and energy keeping things hidden and, and covering their tracks and mm -hmm. protecting the secret life. And so then when it does come out, it's like, oh, whew. I don't have to cover my tracks anymore. And so mm -hmm. they experience relief pretty quickly. But this is when this person who's been betrayed is just completely crushed and devastated. And so if we can come around them and, and give them hope for their own healing, it does make a big difference for, for the future of both of them and for any possibility that the marriage can be reconciled. Yes, that's crucial. Let's let's bring this conversation back now to to David and Lynn Cherry, ministers of the gospel and the journey you've walked to find and now promote healing. I'm sure that many of our listeners, you know, whether their impact marriage has been impacted by betrayal or they're walking someone through it, they may be wondering, why did you stay? And next question after that is, how 
did you stay? Mm -hmm. I get, I totally get those questions. Um, I think sometimes as a culture, our knee jerk reaction is, yeah, get out, get away. Mm -hmm. Don't put up with that. I think, you know, yes, it takes so much strength to walk away from a toxic relationship where someone is unwilling to change. And I commend those people. But it also takes a lot of strength to journey to healing alongside another broken person. Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately the reason I stayed, I would say at the beginning, I stayed because I felt I had no choice. I had to, I was stuck. And you know what? That stuck feeling actually didn't serve me very well. And I remember our counselor challenging me and saying, Lynn, I just, I encourage you to pray and ask God what he wants you to do in this marriage. And I was like, well, I assume I know what God wants me to do. And she's like, I don't think you can make that assumption. And so she really challenged me to, to ask God in prayer, like, Lord, what are you asking me to do in this relationship? And when I, when I finally did get the courage to ask that question, I really felt a very clear answer. Um, I, I felt that God just asked me, would you walk alongside my son toward freedom? And I, I think, you know, I, I honestly, I wasn't super happy about that answer. <laughs> I was like, yeah. okay, God, you have some nerve uh, being okay with the pain, the level of pain that I'm feeling. Um, and yet I do think there was hope in that because I think God could see what I couldn't see, that David was moving toward healing and that he would slay that giant, that he was committed to his own freedom and holiness. I think another reason I stayed is because we did have two boys. So I remember, I remember thinking, if I stay, I'll be able to watch and make sure he's doing all his homework. Mm. You know, if I leave, I, I, I don't get to see the computer. I, you know, I won't be around to check up on him. (laughs) I I don't think um, spouses make good accountability partners. But I was thinking I wanted to have my eyes on the situation. Now, I don't know that that was a healthy reason to stay, but I just want to admit, yeah, that's part of why I stayed. But I think eventually how I stayed is I did see the fruit of change in my husband's life. I saw his behavior change. I, um, I saw him unwilling to watch things on TV that we would have totally watched two years ago. Mm. I saw him um, no longer having a computer behind closed doors. You know, we, um, I saw him install accountability software on every single device he owns. And even to this day, we still have that. Um, where he's committed to accountability. And so the, those changes in his behavior really um, helped me find peace and belief that he was committed to doing the work of walking in freedom. And then really, I think another how is that God was just so, so kind to show up for me. And there were many days, you know, I, 
it was hard to pray. Uh, it was hard to read my Bible, but it seemed like whenever I did, or even just in an email or a text for, from a friend or, you know, something I saw on the internet, um, God was just bringing his kindness and his love to me. And he was so faithful to bring me scriptures to hold on to and um, images that, you know, brought me joy or peace or, or hope. And so I, I had been a Christian for so long, but I really did not know God the way that I do now and how he revealed himself to me in my darkest time. I think as you're sharing, even just when you were talking about walking along God's son, I'm sure that that shifted your perspective on this man that you were married to, to all of a sudden see him as not your husband or even the man who had caused you so much pain, but that he was God's son. Right. Yeah. Which we all know, right? But when you said that, I was like, whew, you see him differently now. All of a sudden, it's it goes from just licking your own wounds, which obviously needed to be healed, but then also giving you a task, a responsibility, an assignment of almost walking hand in hand as a discipling tool, if that makes sense. Right, right. And you know, another thing um, is that I had, uh, it was hearing my husband's story as we were going through counseling and group counseling, especially I learned more of his story and I began to see him not as the man who caused me the greatest pain I've ever experienced, but as a little boy whose innocence was stolen from him at age seven. Yeah. And I had a seven-year-old boy. Right. And I just remember thinking, I can't imagine this beautiful little boy of ours being exposed to what my husband was exposed to at that age. Yeah. And so you're right. Being able to see my husband as a beloved child of God, uh, being able to go back into his story and see the little boy who found pornography in the woods behind his house. Um, it did give me some empathy for him and, and God definitely used that. He was able to build upon that. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly there are so many situations where the spouse is not willing to break this off. They're not willing to get help. They're not willing to turn the tide. But for those situations where maybe this confrontation has happened and there is an openness to trying, the the willingness to move forward, if nothing else, even as we're talking about the choice to stay or go, means that you were... If you'd walked away, you would have taken all of this brokenness with you into whatever your next season of life was, even if that meant into another relationship, perhaps in the future, you still needed to be healed in your heart in order to be able to, to move forward in the way that you needed to. You know, there's, there's a variety of categories of our listeners today, and maybe some who have discovered betrayal, whether that's through an affair, some form of addiction, or a major life failure. You know, others are suspicious. They're on high alert. Many who are scraping up the pieces on the other side of betrayal, maybe that, that has been exposed, and they're trying to figure out how to keep moving forward. And then there's 
still others who've not encountered them this themselves, but they're walking through darkness with others. So, you know, what do we do first? What, what, you know, you've mentioned a few things, but what do you do first? Let's talk to the girl who maybe she's got, she's on high alert. Like she's got the suspicion. She has that little nudge inside, like what you were talking about on your honeymoon that you just knew something's not right. What does, what do you say to her? What does she do? Yeah. Gosh. You know what, what I really want to say to that girl right now is I see you. Mm -hmm. Um, you are loved. You are valued. You are precious. You are worthy. Um, your, and your heart is worth healing. Your life is worth living whole. And whether or not your relationship is restored, your heart is worth healing and your life is worth living whole. Yeah. And, you know, um, I remember our therapist using this analogy of a car accident. And it's like, it's like you're in this relationship and you're in a car accident and you're the one with the broken leg even though your spouse was behind the wheel and they can't make you walk again. Your spouse can't do your physical therapy. Um, they can help you. They can serve you. They can, they can do their own work and that's going to make your work easier. But ultimately you have to pursue the healing of your heart. And, and that is so unfair. And it's just one of the greatest injustices of, dealing with betrayal, that it leaves the betrayed spouse with work to do. Yeah. But it does. And, and here's, here's the hope in that is um, I am not the same person I was before I walked through recovery. So even though it was unfair and, and it hurt and it, and it was great injustice in my life, the work that I did and how God met me and what I learned about myself, um, what I learned about God, what I learned about having to have other people who see my dark things. You know, everything I learned transformed me. And I am not the same person I was before I started that journey. And that's a good thing. You know, we, we can, there's going to be pain on this journey either way. Sure. And we can choose the pain of staying stuck in the brokenness. And I did that for like eight years. Or we can choose the pain of doing the work of pursuing healing and wholeness and recovery. And so I, I think I would just say, choose the pain that brings redemption. Choose the pain that leads you to wholeness. Yes, because there's pain, pain present regardless. Yeah. It's going to be there. Choose the pain that leads to redemption. That's great. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and, you know, I had no theology of suffering when I came, when this, this pain came into my life. And so I've had, to, I've had to unlearn some things and I've had to relearn some things and just realize that you know, God meets us sometimes in our suffering and in the darkness and in those um, painful places in a way, and we come to know our need for him in a way that we don't see when everything's going well. And, and as hard as it is, he can, he can use that. 
He's the God who brings beauty from ashes. And wow, what a, what a God that we serve, that he can do something like that. Yeah. Lynn, what are some proactive steps that we can take as pastors and parents and grandparents in regard to the evil that our culture is throwing at the most vulnerable? You know, I have a uh, 17 and 12-year-old daughters in my household, and these are conversations that we have often um, in that there are things that we've had to speak with them about at much, much younger ages than I ever would have known about even as a young adult. There's conversations that that they're constantly being bombarded with in their school and on, you know, even with all of the filters, all the things that you put in and safety features that you put into place that they are being exposed to. And as a parent, it's frightening really to me to feel like there's a gap that I might could have missed. And then as spiritual leaders, these are not things that while they are very, very prevalent, they're not often being spoken to or spoken about. What is it that we can do proactively to, I guess, if nothing else, bring awareness to this? Mm-hmm. That's such a great question. And I, I think what we have to know is we can't just have the talk. Mm-hmm. We can't just have a talk. Right. Like you said, we have to have conversations. These are ongoing conversations. And so I think with our children, we have to become the, the person that they aren't afraid to talk to. Mm-hmm. So what that means more than anything is we have to watch how we react to the reality of the world they live in. And we have to be really careful not to overreact, uh, which is hard. It's so hard to not overreact when we yeah. see what our children are experiencing. But I think if we can just like, take a deep breath and meet them in that without shame or judgment or freaking, freaking out, Mm -hmm. then we become a safe person for them to go to with their experiences and their feelings. And I think one of the, um, I love the resources at bebroken.com. They have great resources for the betrayed, for the unfaithful and for families. And one of the things that they emphasize is Let's get our kids talking about their feelings. Um, If we can bring some of those things that historically uh, the church hasn't been willing to talk about, if we can bring some of those things out into our normal conversation, um, we started as we were walking through healing, we started with our family around the table sharing highs and lows. And we would just at dinner, have everybody share a high and low because it's important to know we all have those. We all have highs. We all have lows. And so we've got to normalize some of the feelings that we experience because what happens when we have low feelings and we want to feel better, we go to those things that make us feel better. And so if we can talk about some of these things with our family and it's a safe place to have those conversations we're less likely to self-soothe in an unhealthy way. And we learn how to, to soothe ourselves with, rela- with healthy relationships, with um, healthy tools. And so talking about our feelings, watching our reactions, um, valuing the relationship. You know, I think uh, growing up in the church, we, so we, oh man, we just want the best for our kids. We want to protect them from pain. 
Of course we do. But we also have to equip them for the world that they live in. Yeah. And so we, we're just going to have to cultivate relationships that can handle honesty and authenticity where our kids can tell us like, Hey, this is someone showed me a video in the bathroom today. And I don't know how I feel about it. I, I'm kind of curious, like, what was that? Mm -hmm. We, we actually want our children to feel like they can come to us with those situations. Yeah. Wanting, wanting to be the resource that your children come to, um, with, with their questions. And then also I just, I'll just throw this in too. We need our kids to have other adults in their life. Um, they, uh, the Fuller Institute recommends that every teenager have five adults that they can talk to about what's happening in their life because, you know, sometimes it is hard to talk to your parents. Mm -hmm. So cultivating, intentionally cultivating life-giving relationships with other adults That is so good. And definitely just, you know, being on high alert, it's, it's, it's difficult. I think, especially since, you know, today's parent, um, we can recall a time when these things weren't as, it's not as though they, they weren't, um, happening, but they weren't as much kind of like in your face, you know, and we remember a time when, the cell phone wasn't just readily there or, you know, we could talk about, you know, as my girls sometimes say, you know, back in your time, <laughs> you know, we can, yeah, we can remember a time where the internet was not, you know, readily available that, that you, you did have to do a little bit more work in order to have some form of fulfillment of, like you talked about the highs and the lows. That's, that's such a, it's, and, and that doesn't happen. We, if you wait until, you think you should have, um, you know, many times when, you know, I don't know, when I was growing up, you know, you had this idea of when you would have the talk. And it was usually like when a, a young woman was about to become a young woman, you know, it was like when you were about to start your, your menstrual cycle or you were about to, you know, and we waited so long to have these conversations to a point to where by that point, someone's else, someone else has already gotten, I remember, um, my, I have nieces that are just a few paces ahead of my own daughters. And so I was talking to my sister-in-law a lot, like a lot about, you know, so when did you speak about this? When, and I remember her telling me when my niece, who was our first, our family's first grandchild. So she was, I mean, walking with a glow about her, you know, she was, everyone was, she was the angel, the flawless, pure. I mean, we were just like, angels sang when she walked in the room, you know, so as soon as I knew that my sister-in-law had exposed our purest little girl to these kinds of discussions, even in a a very, you know, like I said, entry level, I was like, oh my goodness, how, how did she respond? You know, and I'm expecting this to be such, you know, because no one really wants to talk about that, the kid or the parent. And she said, you know, Bridget, there was a piece that came over her little face because she said at that point I knew, no, she did not want to hear about those things, but everything she hears from this point forward will bounce off of the truth that can be trusted. And it came from the people that she knew loved her and, and, and were going to protect her with the fiercest desire to protect her. And so she said, everything she hears from now will only bounce off of what we've already laid the foundation. And if she has curiosity, 
we've already made that a normative conversation that we are going to, you know, it's a foundation. And it let me know, these are things that, that I definitely needed to be prepared. And, and many of these, um, you know, focus on the family, they have all, all these different normative times of when you, and it's, it's shocking when you're looking at, like you said, your four and seven year old boys and you think, oh no, I don't, I don't want them to know about that. And odds are they already do. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you shared that, you know, and we, and we can't, we can't be sleeping beauty yeah. and we can't be sleeping beauty's parents. You know, Sleeping Beauty's parents uh, burned all the spindles in the world, their kingdom. They're trying to protect her from that, that finger prick. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if you remember the story, but they gather up all the spindles and they burn them and, and out of a good heart. And, but, but then they never tell her, hey, you're going to encounter a spindle one day. And this is actually something you need to stay away from. And here's what you do when you find it. Come yeah. get us come tell us, but they didn't. And so of course she runs into the one spindle they didn't manage to destroy. And you know, that part of the story, we have to equip our children with age appropriate truth to, and then we have to be the safe place that they come to. That is so good. Anything else that you want to share on this? Is there anything that we did not get to Lynn that's weighing on you? Yeah, you know, I just want to share a couple of resources that I always sure, like please to do. point people to. I definitely uh, believe in the ministry of BeBroken.com. Just very simple, B-E-B-R-O-K-E-N.com. Uh, great resources for the whole family there. Okay. And then also AffairRecovery.com, which is actually the group that my husband and I went to get help. And um, a fair recovery does an annual conference for the betrayed spouse that I get to help um, put on. And it's just one of the joys of my life. So mm. hope rising conference for betrayed spouses will be coming in October of 2022. Okay. But our 2021 conference is now available to watch on demand. So just a great, a great resource. I want to, I want to pass on. And then I do want to share one scripture. So this is probably um, oh man, there's so many verses, but this is probably the most important verse to me was Isaiah 43 verse two. When you walk through the fire, mm-hmm. I'm with you. When you walk through the flood, you're not going to be swept away. When you walk through the fire, you know, I- I'd read that verse many times, but I remember thinking, oh, there will be floods and rivers and fires. This is part of life on the earth, but there's two things that I brought me so much comfort. And one is God says, I'm with you. I am with you. You are not alone. And the other thing is he says, when you walk through, when you pass through. And so I just want that girl who is facing this heartache to know there's, there is a way through there's an other side to this pain that you are living in right now. You are not alone. God is with you. And just if I could say, I wish I could say it as sweet as it sounded in my spirit, but I remember God meeting me with through that verse and just saying, keep walking, baby. Keep walking. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Just take one step, just one. And I hope, I hope you hear that. And I hope that, my story 
that I could lend you some courage with my story. Yes, absolutely. So how can our listeners connect with you, um, whether that be on social media? I know that you have a website in your devotional that we spoke about in the very beginning. So, so huge and not overwhelming. I mean, I've, I've seen your book and in those moments when you're being, whether that, you know, like grief of a loved one or a grief or, or in the holding kind of the shrapnel of, of your life, some resources can be overwhelming. But what you've provided is just something for today. Don't, don't think about, you know, two years from now, let's, let's walk through today. So tell us about your resources and kind of, of the things that you're doing in order to speak to this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that was really part of my goal. When you walk through betrayal, it's traumatic. It causes trauma. And, and sometimes it's hard to absorb information when our brain is dealing with all that. So my, my book is like one to two pages to read every day for 40 days. And it really is just the thoughts and scriptures and ideas that care, that helped me get out of bed, that yeah. helped me keep moving. And so that's available on Amazon. Um, just keep walking 40 days to hope and freedom after betrayal. And you can get it uh, in paperback or on Kindle uh, right there on Amazon. And then um, I love to hear from your listeners. You can find me on Instagram at Lynn Marie Cherry. Send me a message. Uh, I are pretty good about replying to those. And then um, also my website, lynnmariecherry.com. Fantastic. This has been so good and so insightful. And I know that it's going to hopefully in my mind, in my heart, um, I'm picturing um, women that have nearly given up. Here we are. We've walked through some of the most difficult years um, in our nation, most recently at least, and they're wondering if it's worth it to give it another shot. And I pray that as we come to the close of 2021, they are reminded that there is, like you said, another side and that God will take them to that. Thank you again so much for our listeners that that um, give us space in your heart um, to speak into. And I, and I hope that you will share this. It may be that you aren't walking through something like this personally today, but perhaps you know someone, maybe you're leading someone that is walking through some traumatic news, maybe something that she suspects, maybe something that you even just feel like the Holy Spirit needs for her to hear this. Pass that along, please. And, um, and be that person that Lynn shared uh, can be the sounding board and can be, be there with the broken. Sometimes it's not even about giving them all the advice in the world, but just being there when, when they're broken and uh, giving them hope for their future. Be blessed. And we will look to see you again on the other side of new year, 2022. We're so honored that you would be a part of Let's Talk with Sanctuary. It is our sincere desire to provide content that resources and encourages the ministry wife, woman in ministry, or woman in leadership. Would you help us develop our content? Over these next few weeks, we would love to hear from you. Send us a quick note through the contact link in today's show notes. Let us know what you'd like to talk about. And thanks for listening to Let's Talk with Sanctuary.